I started with companies like Oppenheimer. I work in financial investment services for over 20 years. And mm-hmm. working for um, companies like Shearson Lehman. They're now the Citicorp. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. She is a life balance coach, a business consultant, a corporate America veteran, and the founder of Women on the Rise New York. Ladies and gentlemen, trainer, author, balance coach, business consultant, Miss Marcia Gettier. Marcia is her name, and this is her revelation. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for pronouncing my name so well. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. Well, uh, I have to attribute it to the fact that I do have uh, Creole in my family. So I was like, oh, this looks French. Nice. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yes. See, let me think. How, how are we pronouncing in French? Okay. That, I guess that's how it'd be. All right. So I'm glad that uh, you enjoyed the pronunciation of your last name. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I'm assuming that either you are Creole or you are French or you're a Haitian. So which of those three do you belong? <laughs> I belong to uh, my parents who are of Haitian descent. I was born here and they were born in Haiti, but I was born, I was raised as a full Haitian American. Nice, nice. Okay, good, good. Well, okay, well, ex- explain how a full Haitian upbringing looks like? Oh, wow. It's, it, it is very, um, you almost tiger mom. <laughs> I, I want, I wish we had a term for it the way they do <laughs> in, in, in the Asian culture. It, it is very structured. It is very, um, disciplined. Those are the, the kind <laughs> words that I'd like to say about, they were structured and disciplined. It wasn't abuse right. back then. <laughs> but we we had rules that we had to follow. Children had their place. Um, you, you were taught that education is first and foremost. Family um, also a close second to you know probably first. And and your faith being absolutely important in in our upbringing as Haitians. Faith plays a major role. And I grew up Catholic, but um, uh, enjoy many different types of religions. But it is rooted in faith, tradition. Haitians are very Mm. traditional. Yeah, that's good to know. That's good to know. Uh, And and the reason why I ask is I've heard many stories of many different, many different upbringings in many different areas of the world. And I always wanted to know, okay, uh, an Asian, uh, a Haitian upbringing. Well, how does that look like? How does that sound like? And yeah, I would say that you would be singing the praises of my mother and grandmother. Uh, that's exactly how they were. <laughs> and I, and, and I yeah. don't have Haitian <laughs> in my blood, <laughs> but that's how they were. <laughs> it's all relative, right? Everyone comes from a story, a culture, our cultures 
define who we are as people and the, the stories we could tell about. And it's so different then and now. I don't want to have to tell you my age, but um, it is way different. I'm not a millennial. I am in the Gen X. Is it Gen X? Yeah. Uh, so it is so different now how we were raised back then to, to what you're seeing today and how um, children are being allowed to express themselves. I have a three-year-old, and he is very expressive. I don't know how and when he learned his emotions. Uh, at two, he was already telling me, I'm sad or I'm happy. And, and it's not something back when I was growing up. Kids didn't have emotions. <laughs> You were told how to feel. You, you didn't. You didn't get to feel your your own way. You were told you're happy today, so go 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 have oh, fun. Yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. You're you're bringing back memories. Is uh, you're speaking to another Gen Xer here. So yeah, I totally get the. Uh, yeah, do so and so so. Well, well, that doesn't make sense. Why are you asked me to do, to do this? Because I said so. Oh, okay. Because I said so. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but what if that was a shoe flying over my head? Uh, oh, okay. I, I understand. I get the point. <laughs> <laughs> a wooden spoon. It was decoration on the wall, but somehow it right. became an instrument. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That, that's a shoe. Wait a minute. I thought you put that on your feet, not on my behind. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Where are we going with this right now? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other. Yeah, many stories I could almost go back and basically retell I wish by CB wonder and it'd be my own. I wish <laughs> yeah. so I, I fully can relate with you. All right. So you said you're Gen X, yeah. you know, to give an age and I'm not giving mine either. <laughs> so it, normally if it's a Gen X, so that means you were a child or a baby in an era where it was before economics. So yes. Explain to me how New York was in as a child and as best you can back then. Um, I feel like I, I guess it's all relative to it, to to your time and space because I can look back today in terms of uh, safety and and think we're, we didn't deal with the things that we're dealing with today. At least open wide kind of um, you know creepy people. Everybody was either family, everybody was, your neighbors were your neighbors, like friendly neighbors were everywhere. And they, the neighborhood parented us, right? Mm, We were disciplined and parented by our neighbors. I remember growing up, I grew up in Brooklyn and my grandfather was well known in my, in my building. And so I couldn't make a move without every single person in a five block radius that said, aren't you Mr. Jordan's grandbaby? You better get out that those bushes or stop running. I'm going to tell your grandfather. And we don't have that now where uh, the community is really working together to raise our children in a way because it, it's not as safe. Right. But I recall back then my parents, feeling even in that time for those days it wasn't safe to them relative to today Mm. it was a heck of a lot safer uh but my parents still had that sense of um security where you know you had to be upstairs at a certain time before dark and you know you still learn those lessons about talking to strangers um but what you're seeing today 
is a lot different in terms of safety. Um, safety concerns are so different. With technology, there are different lessons that we have to learn about safety. And um, New York is definitely, I mean, I remember times where you'd get your chain snatch or, you know, you'd get kind of like robbed and bullied. But that, that was nothing compared to today with the, the um, gun violence and gangs that are so much more prevalent now um, in New York. But I think it's all relative, right? It, it was... It seemed dangerous to us back then, but when, when I sit in today's time, when I'm listening to the news today, I'm like, oh, gosh, we did have it good back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> when, I, I, when I think back, yeah, it was, it was it, it, you had violence there, like you said. You had violence in those times, but it, seemingly to me, it just seemed to not be as, as pervasive and as dangerous back then as it is now. And not not yeah, life threatening, right? You, you go to blows, you, you throw up your hands, and you have a fair one. Sometimes not a fair one. That was the most challenging part. Like, is this going to be a fair one? <laughs> who's going to be who's going to be fair in in the fight, uh, right? And now right. it's just mm-hmm. no such thing as a fair one anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about yeah. Who's who's the who's the loudest? Who can strike first? Who can strike the hardest? Yeah, and. Yeah, that that wasn't the case back in back in the day, as they say. Right. Ah, so the borough of choice was Brooklyn. Okay, well, describe Brooklyn to me then. Brooklyn was fun. Brooklyn was, and it was community. It was uh, 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 love. I could do anything in Brooklyn. I don't live in Brooklyn now. I'm still in New York, but I don't live in the boroughs right now. But it was, I would walk 20 miles to to get to a friend's house or to a cousin's house. You can't do that now. (laughs) Everything is so far, (laughs) far away, seemingly. Um, Right. That's what it was to me. It was culture. It still is culture. The culture in Brooklyn is phenomenal. Uh, the, the change that you see today in Brooklyn with um, the arts being so um, in the forefront of even your, um, your, your construction and your, your buildings, your architecture. I loved growing up in Brooklyn. We had community centers where we had full support of our elders, people to mentor you and to, to kind of guide you along your way. And, that's one thing you don't see too much of now because everything's about money and the funds are never around. Uh, you know, government controls everything. Once they see something that is working well in our communities and we're doing it ourselves, they come in and they take it over. And next thing you know, the benefits are not being spread out the way they used to be. And I, I have to say this, I'm dating myself now. Uh, when I would hear any stories about New York in in its totality, mm-hmm. you would hear a lot, of course, about Manhattan. And of course, you would hear some negative stuff about Harlem. Yeah, but generally, Manhattan was positive. Uh, generally, the, generally, the Bronx was pretty much you mentioned the Yankees, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> they barely mentioned the Bronx Zoo about the Bronx. Yes. 
uh, of course, Queens has all the airports. So it's like, yeah, it's sort of like considered the, the, the secondary borough, quote unquote, to Manhattan. And Brooklyn seemed to be such an afterthought until I remember watching the Cosby show and, and they actually had the setting of the show in a brownstone in Brooklyn. And I mm-hmm. did not know how cultured that borough was until that show. And I was like, wow. Yeah, so there's a richness to Brooklyn that I didn't know. Absolutely, hidden gems in Brooklyn, uh, the neighborhood where uh, Cosby Show was portrayed. I think it's um, Park Slope or Clinton Hills, uh, but yes, brownstones, beautifully architectural elements and design in your buildings. You know, tree-lined blocks, and it was a great place to live. And it wasn't as scary as people portrayed it to be. I, I, I remember having a friend from Chicago, Chicago of all places. He was scared to come to Brooklyn. <laughs> 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 he grew up on the South side of Chicago, but was scared to come to little old Brooklyn. And when he did finally come, he was surprised to see it wasn't as bad or horrible um, that he, of a place that he thought, it was um, that he heard it to be, but there was so, there's so, and still today, there's so many facets of Brooklyn. Mm. There's the artsy neighborhoods and there's the more affluent neighborhoods that people don't talk about. Real estate in Brooklyn is uh, very near to real estate in Manhattan. Mm. In some areas of Manhattan, real estate can be quite high, especially in today's market. But, um, and then you have, the change of neighborhoods, the gentrification, uh, you know, uh, communities being redeveloped into more expensive communities. Previous mayors have done pretty good jobs at keeping New York and the boroughs, including Brooklyn, safe and clean for the most part. So Brooklyn is awesome. Uh, And ever since then, I have talked to people who will, of course, now I'm talking to a former Brooklynite right now, and I would talk to those who live in New York, and they would say, yeah, when I lived there, I would rush to go to Brooklyn. Like, wow, so it's like that. Okay. Yeah. Man, all right. So, yeah, I've learned that it's sort of like, the, I guess, the the art the artsy hotspot of New York, and I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Uh, well, next time I go there, I have to make a point to go to Brooklyn just to soak in the beauty. And explore. There are different pockets of sections of cultures. There is the African-American culture. There are the um, Caribbean um, cultures. Even the Jewish neighborhood have um, beautiful community centers. And, and again, I go back to the architecture. I just love the um, aesthetics of Brooklyn and uh, beautiful museums. Just cool places you can hang out the park. Prospect Park, if you ever get to Brooklyn, Prospect Park is a beautiful park. It's not just Central Park that we have in the Big Apple. All right. So you said that, uh, well, obviously you have a love affair with Brooklyn and New York in general, and that sort of plays a part into what we'll talk about later. Um, You also talked about faith and education. I want to touch on faith real quick first. So you said that you were reared in a Catholic home? Yes. Okay, well, explain that for those who may not know. Well, I explain it to people that I talk to that I'm Catholic. I'm very 
again, structured and organized. And this is just my experience mm-hmm. growing up Catholic. Uh, not every Catholic grows up in the same way, but it was very structured. You went to Sunday Mass. You went to your um, religion class, Sunday school, as um, we called it. And you did all your sacraments. Um, you followed the uh, Catholic calendar. You know, we're approaching um, Ash Wednesday, which also falls on um, Valentine's Day this, this year. Right. So that, that is a pretty interesting um, thing to see how people will choose what they're going to do on Valentine's Day, uh, I think. Uh, and so it was very structured almost for me i will say kind of robotic you kind of did it because you had to just like in school my grandmother I, I i was raised very closely with my grandma i saw her every day and every day every morning her routine was to get up sit at the table read her bible bible pray and uh those are some of the things that have always stuck with me and i've come to maintain that same um, ritual and habit for me and my son who now is learning himself. He doesn't read, but we say our morning and our nightly prayers uh, because those are traditions, again, going back to traditions that I want to make sure that I keep, um, you know, within my home. Mm. Yeah. Catholicism gets a, a bad rap a lot of the time, uh, and and in, in this case, it's going to get some of a bad rap here too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the the some of the ritualistic aspects of Catholicism, I'm not a big fan of either. Mm-hmm. And being the, having this robotic, systematic understanding of religion always struck me as odd at best, <laughs> and and crazy at worst, but. Uh, the best aspect, though, that you can pick up from it, it is actually it gives you a foundation. And if you can take the foundation and build on it, then I think that is what I think that is what you could take from Catholicism. Like what you said, you you pray with your son in the morning and at night. Well, I mean, that's, you know, building on that foundation and you're learning. You're learning how to deal with God on your own terms and not have it be uh, regulated to you. and that's. That's important. That really is important. Yeah. It's major to me. It's actually something I found um, as I got older and I sought a closer relationship with God. Personally, I found that I wasn't as connected to scripture. I I probably, most likely, I have a bad memory. So I'm not really great (laughs) at memorizing a lot. But um, because I, and again, this is just me because of that um, ritualistic behavior and just, you know, routinely going to church and maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I don't know the Bible like I feel like I want to. I can't, um, I haven't been able to recite a prayer in a given notice the way I see people that are not Catholic can do. and. Because of that, I create, I don't even know if you know this, Cole, but I created a planner, which is a uh, planner based on scripture and prayer focuses. 
So mm-hmm. to help me in my um, search to be closer to God and, um, and because I am the organizing goal setting person that I am, I wanted a one place, one book to help me um, as I meditate on scripture, as I meditate on my goals and uh, as I'm activating my, um, my dreams, I wanted a, one book where I could be able to read the word, come up with a scripture or a prayer focus that I could recite sort of as a mantra as I'm going through my goal setting activities. And I did that in a planner that I called um, Plan, Pray, Prosper. Mm-hmm. That is nice. That is nice. In, in hearing what you said, it reminds me of a scripture. Uh, 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 he who uh, make your vision plain and he who writes it on the tablet can run with it. And, you know, I, I mean, I struggle with doing that. I'll, I'll admit I struggle with doing that, but you know, as, as time has gone on, I've gotten better at it. So it's interesting that I'm hearing a person who, yeah, and I've, I've, I have delved into your background. Uh, yeah, you are a planner du jour. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it makes sense that you actually were to make sense of this in this fashion because you know, part of knowing God is having order, is having structure, which that's what's, that's what's the funny part about all that, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful that you actually have that type of uh, that type of plan of attack when it comes to your spirituality, when it comes to your prayer life. I think that's that's awesome and actually admirable. So that is good. Thank you. I think um, what you just said, I'm be- I have become better at it as well, mainly in part because of my planner. I, I developed it a couple of years ago and have been using it for a couple of years, but because of the people that I surround myself with. They are um, men and women of God and people that I call on when I need a, um, I call them my prayer warriors. So I have been able to get better because of the people that I surround myself with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's another scripture, surround yourself with wise counsel. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how you're supposed to do it. And that's how we all are supposed to do it. Yeah, we'll see. It looks like the the upbringing that your parents had is uh, working wonderfully because <laughs> you, you have an appreciation for family. You have appreciation for where you, for where you live. You have appreciation for God, obviously. And the other thing you said was education. So uh, I'm assuming that since this was drilled within you and hearing you as the articulate, eloquent self that you are, Thank you. Uh, you seem to also be educated too. So uh, where did you go to college? Oh, I went to several colleges. It was a long journey for me. I, I Right after high school, I went to a New York State um, University, uh, Delhi Upstate. I got my um, living on campus, away from home. You know, when you, when you grow up in the types of uh, controlled environments that I was, you know, you know, like I said, disciplined, I should say, uh, it was such a need for me to go away to college. So I did that. I spent two years away at college, um, upstate New York, and came back home. I've been working in corporate America for so long. So after college, after I left um, the university, at, after two years, I came back to New York. I went to school here and there. And finally, I settled on a um, another state college, SUNY Empire State. 
which I earned my bachelor, bachelor's of science in management and economics. And yeah, but I, I, it took a while. I was the corporate maven for so long in and out of um, corporate companies, Fortune 500 companies, going to school part-time for such a long time, and then really focusing so much on my career uh, while never forgetting the, the lessons of the importance of education. I knew I, would, I knew I would always complete my degree, which I finally did. Yeah, uh, the the thought process of having having a degree in four years is so overrated. <laughs> it's so overrated. Uh, it, it it really is all about how you complete the journey, and it can, you could be you can walk across the stage at twenty two, you can walk across the stage at sixty two. It doesn't matter. Yep. Just as long as you actually walk across that stage with the accomplishment of I did this, right? And and that's all that matters. And and kudos to you for for having the the stick to itiveness, but that's not the word I really want to say. Resilience. <laughs> it's a good word. Yes, it is a good word. <laughs> but yeah, kudos to you to having the resilience and the uh, perseverance to c- continue to keep going until you actually got it. So the accomplishment is much more important than how long it took. Right. Thank you for that. Oh, no problem. No problem. No problem. So you. Talked about the dreaded two words that I have heard often with those who climb the ladder of success. <laughs> corporate, corporate America. America. <laughs> corporate America. I'm still in corporate America, so I, I, I have to be careful. Get <laughs> <laughs> to tread lightly. Yes. Okay. Well, well, w- without throwing corporate America completely under the bus. <laughs> Which one of those Fortune 500 countries, companies did you get your start? I, oh my God, I have so many. Again, it, it was a different time when I was growing up. So I started way back when, um, again, here I go dating myself, but uh, I started with companies like Oppenheimer. I work in financial investment services for over 20 years and mm-hmm. working for um, companies like Shearson Lehman. They're now dot, 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 merger after acquisition after merger is now owned by, um, I believe, Citicorp. I think, mm-hmm. I think nowadays, who knows? But um, right. it, and in today's world, it, my largest corporation, Fortune 500 that I work for, is, is actually City, City Group, Citibank, Citicorp. Ah, familiar, familiar, familiar with those. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and I referenced uh, another conversation I had with uh, uh, another woman about uh, the the climb up mm. uh, and she she ended up actually she actually ended up getting getting out and forming her own businesses. And now she's making a living now. Yeah. Away from corporate America. I. Uh, the thing that she, the thing that struck me about the conversation I had with her is the feeling I'm sort of getting with you. And that is you, you see all these things that you can attain and you, you go for them. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as if that when you climb up that ladder and you attain these things, it's as if you, you are very cognizant and aware that 
this is a gift and a curse at the same time. And it's as if you're having this tug of war saying, okay, what is it more? (laughs) Because I'm feeling both. Right. Is it the same with you? It, it is the same with me. I do have a love of corporate America and also the same passion for uh, entrepreneurship. It, it is a struggle at times to decide how far do I want to take my entrepreneurial endeavors? Um, how much am I real, willing to risk? in leaving corporate America. And I'm just not ready for that right now. Um, and so th- there, there is a struggle sometimes determining um, how far you should go. And right now I'm in a crossroads in my life with whether I've always been that person trying to reach that next step on the ladder, pushing and pushing further, r- rising up within corporations, within companies. And because I'm, at a crossroads between corporate America and entrepreneurship, I find that I stop pushing the, the need for the corporate ladder. And I'm content Ooh. where I am. Um, and I'm not fighting anymore. But, but, but that, that fighter, that person that wants more, and I know that there is more, I know I deserve more, I tend to kind of, what do they say, straddle the fence with uh, – poking the bear at work and saying, now where's my promotion? But I know I don't want it because I want the freedom to work independently. Uh, Right now I I don't manage a team like I used to in the past. And yet um, I don't know if I'm upset that I haven't been promoted in in that way yet uh, or not. But not managing a team allows me more freedom to use my time wisely where I can balance between work and um, my small business. All right. So uh, let me touch on one of your entrepreneurial pursuits. So how did you get into being an author? Oh, that's such a great question. I have always known that I love to write. So I started with a little blog and I would write little articles here and there and I don't maintain that blog anymore. But um, as my business grew for Women on the Rise and I became um, more known for the goal setting and um, the life balance work that I do, I wanted a way to uh, give that to women globally without having to actually work with them independently, you know, one-on-one or in a group setting. So I came up with an idea to take what I do with my company and collaborate with other women that are experts in their field um, to create and come up with the book Life Balance for the Woman on the Rise. Yes. I I love resources that help women. And and the reason why I say that is uh, the gender has been marginalized even to this moment. And the power of humanity comes literally physically out of a woman. So when I hear a resource that helps women, I love it. I love it. And I'd like to promote it because the, the, the more promotion of women upliftment is out there, the better, the better the whole world would be. So I'm happy that you provide that resource for women. It's beautiful. I'm glad that you do. 
Thank you. Thank you for supporting what we do. It's important. Oh, no it is. It is. It's very important. And you mentioned the name. So uh, you mentioned the name and you mentioned somewhat the cause of it. So I guess I'll talk about it now. Explain to me how Women on the Rise New York became to be and the purpose of it. Women on the Rise became to be because in my corporate America life, you know, I've been there long enough, as I said many times on this, on this show, I've been in corporate America for a while. And for a long time, women were not given opportunities to be in leadership or management roles. And I was in corporate America when they begin to realize that they had to begin to include women at certain levels, right? And as women were given the opportunity to rise in their careers, I saw the shift in women and me personally being affected by women that were not supportive, that were, um, you know, it's a doggy dog world that were, it's me and not you. Um, and, and that, and then on the other side of that, before that, I did have women all through my education growing up that were so supportive, that were mentors to me, that saw something in me that was great. So they made sure that I, I got all the tools that I needed in order to, to be the person that I am today. And as I was going through corporate America and seeing the different sides of women and, and how divided we were, I wanted to create a company where I could show people and teach people how to be supportive, how to collaborate, how to properly network. Also, I had friends who were in small businesses. I was always an entrepreneur. I had like, you know, professional services uh, businesses back in the day. I would do event planning, event management, different businesses. So I wanted a way. And started off with my um, annual forum and expo that happens in New York. And I, I wanted a place and an event where women could come together, share ideas, and, and present each other and celebrate each other as small businesses. So we um, it developed from the start of my um, first expo. It was actually going on way before that. I've always mentored people. I've always given um, people business advice and kind of helped them get clarity in their life, in their, in their business perspective. And so Women on the Rise was formed because I think we are always rising regardless of where you are at. Even Oprah Winfrey is a woman on the rise because there's somewhere further for her to go. There's, there's never a ceiling. You know, the, the skies are the limits. So I believe that every woman at every stage of their life, um, is always in search of the next great thing for themselves or, or evolving into something different or something new. And that's why I created Women on the Rise. The purpose is really to empower, educate, and um, inspire women to lead their best lives and, and rise. Mm. And that is an important, <laughs> that's an important tool. I, I can't stress it enough. I just really can't stress it enough. Here's a question I know you like to ask any entrepreneur and because I asked this about myself. So you created women on the rise mm-hmm. besides the financial benefit. How does it feed you? Oh, 
my soul and my spirit. Oh my God. Mm. When I work with women that come to me that felt like no one understood them, because oftentimes your family's supportive, your friends are supportive, but sometimes they're not on the same track as us, right? Us entrepreneurs, we think different. We behave different. We prioritize different. We see the world in a, in a different way. And when women come to me and they just get that clarity, that aha of, okay, I'm on the right track, or thank you for getting me back on track or, or you know, helping me see my vision a lot clearer. So, Because there are many days where I'm like, okay, let me just stick to my nine to five and, and hang this up. Uh, but when I get women who actually are moved to action and make great change and shift in their life, it really, it, it pays me more than the financial aspect. I like money. <laughs> but what I get, the feeling that I get from the women that come back to me and say how um, their life has changed from working with me, from being part of my network, Oh, the greatest gift I get is when I hear, I met my two greatest partners through an event that Women on the Rise put together. I am now doing business. Life is so much better. I have a team. I have a supportive group of other like-minded women that I get to now work with. And now we're friends. And I met them through Marsha or an event that I, that I put together. That's what makes me happy. Well, you're an entrepreneur. I, I would hope that you would like money. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, that is beautiful. It, it's beautiful that, that you have the heart to see how lives are changed by a product or a service you create. And really, there is very few things better and more powerful than that. When you can actually see, wow, this creation is fueling the life change in another. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's like, okay, so this is the, this is the validating point of why I created this. You know, it, you know, I, I, I felt in my bones and in my gut that this would be one of those things that would spark change in others' lives. Right. But now I actually get a chance to see it in, with my own two eyes. And now I can process it with my brain that this is a good, viable option for people out there who need this service. Right. There, there's, there's an exhilarating thrill when you create something and it feeds others and it feeds you because it's not about a bottom line solely. Mm-hmm. It's not about, okay, well, yeah, this is this person I'm getting this much money from and man, this is good because I can pay this bill off. Uh, it's good. I can pay this bill off. It's good. I can take this for a vacation. Yeah, that's there. But. Uh, for a business to have a legacy behind it, it has to have a bigger purpose right. than just a financial benefit. Right. Yeah. So it, it's beautiful that not only, not only you thought about it, but you, that you could articulate it by seeing it and that you enjoy it and it gives you joy because of it. Absolutely. And every time, you know, every time you, as entrepreneurs, you know, there are moments where we want to give up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and every time I get that moment, God sends me that message and that person. I mean, it's amazing the glory of God and the work that he does to send you messages right on time, all the time. So there are so many moments where I'm like, okay, I give up. All right. You know, that maybe, maybe this thing is not for me. I'll stick mm-hmm. to corporate America. 
and be happy there. And uh, someone will surface and tell me how they were inspired by my book or my planner or or a a speech that I made at an event. Or, or, you know, I I go on Facebook Live and can talk, you know, something that I did on Facebook Live. And that that totally feeds Mm. me and keeps me going. Yeah. yeah. And it would keep me going, uh, knowing that. And that that's that's beautiful. Wow. That is awesome. Now, you mentioned, let's see, author, uh, you were the creative women on the rise. Uh, what other businesses do you have out there? I secretly am an event uh, <laughs> production manager. And I say that secretly because it, it takes so much work to put on events. Uh, now I only to take those jobs by referral and I... I pick and choose what I do, but I manage events. I design events. I have a team of people um, in hospitality that I work with to put on events for people. Um, I try to keep it mm-hmm. kind of on the low, on the hush, because it's, it, it's a it's a company within itself. It is a huge deal to organize and produce events. It takes a lot of um, a lot of meetings, a lot of legwork, and I had to kind of put that um, on the hush hush and and deal with my clients that I've had um, for a couple of years already. So that's one thing that I do under my entrepreneurial self. It's hard, you know. I'm learning. No mm-hmm. is my word of <laughs> <laughs> no is the word for 2018. Oh no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I'm laughing because you're not the first person that has said those very words <laughs> yeah this year I'm going to actually last week I had a conversation with another entrepreneur and she actually said to me those words uh, this year I'm learning to say no more <laughs> like oh wow you know I was just tell- saying that to a client last night we were on a coaching call and she told me she she turned down an opportunity and I was so proud of her because the opportunity had nothing to do with her business and so many entrepreneurs especially when they're starting out because they don't get the right advice uh, they say yes to everything Mm -hmm. they don't know when to place um the yes and the no And, and that's why when i work with women i teach them to put their values first so when you put your values first when you document in something like a planner, a, 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 a workbook or so, of some sort, when you document what your values are, you write it, you repeat it, um, you get those vision boards out, manifestation boards. Those are great tools to continuously remind you of what your values are, what you, what goals you're setting for yourself in your life. I, I don't do yearly goals. I break out my goals into quarters, mm-hmm. which quarters fall into a year but it's not something that i say you know i need to be done in 2018 i need to be done in this amount of time and i fit it into my schedule where it best fits um in alignment with everything else that i'm trying to juggle and balance in my life Mm -hmm. yeah and and that's important Uh, yeah it's important the it's, it's funny we rarely hear this but i think entrepreneurs live it that you know, we hear about the work-life balance if you're an employee. Right. 
but it's almost like times a thousand when you're an entrepreneur, the work-life balance that you need to have. Right. Right. And the understanding of your values and what, what is it you want for yourself, your family, you know, what, what are you trying to accomplish in any given amount of time? So I think it's important that I reach women entrepreneurs um, with that message that it's not just life balance is not just for um, the career professional. You must um, consider your, your, your life and balancing it all when you're an entrepreneur. Now, all of this talk, we have talked about entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurship. We talked about education. We talked about faith, but this is one common thread that seems to be the, the source of your motivation, your joy, and uh, really the reason that you wake up outside of God himself, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that is your son. So explain to me how huge of a role does your son play in having all of this uh, manifest and come true for you? So the strangest part is that while I had... I've been an entrepreneur for a while and I've worked in corporate America. I've, I've done both roles um, simultaneously for a while. But for some reason, the moment I had my son, he's three years old, it seems to turn me into overdrive. I'm more, I said, now why did I wait till now to feel the urgency to succeed as an entrepreneur? And so I, I, what I've, learned is that my son has given me purpose. He's my why to why I have to succeed as an entrepreneur to show him how um, you can make it as an entrepreneur. And he is a huge part of it. Um, he is so funny because he's three and he he can see my book cover. If so, he, if we're somewhere and someone else has my book, he's like, mom, that's your book. <laughs> so nice. When I, when he did that for the first time, I was like shocked. He's like, mom, that's you. If you know, uh, I'd have a recording of a show that I did, or I did a broadcast on, on a um, TV program. So I'm watching it on the computer. He's like, Oh my God, mom, that's you. I was, I had a, like a five second stint on a TV show. So we watched the TV, um, the episode that day. And he's like, mommy, I want to see you on the TV. So he is all in with me. And Mm. I feel like every time he says something like that, I feel like he's telling me he's proud of me, even though he doesn't know that's what he's saying and doing for me. It's Mm -hmm. pushing me to make sure that I give him the things that, you know, we always want to give them, give our kids what we didn't have. Um, my parents were supportive, but they were very straight and narrow. It was go to school, get a corporate job, and you're great. And the funny thing, my parents both had parents who were entrepreneurs. So I don't know how that stuff mm-hmm. skips generations, you know. So my grandfather um, in Haiti had his own business and was a very successful business person in Haiti. But when he came here to corporate, I mean to um, America, he did not go into um, entrepreneurship. He chose the route of working for um, someone throughout his life here in in the States. So it's very strange how that happens. And so now 
I am also going to turn those tides and make sure that I give my son the view of entrepreneurship as well as um, structured corporate um, working. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> your son's going to have a wealth of knowledge as to, wow, this is how it is to be a professional. And this is how it is to be an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, you're going to flood him with a whole ton of information by the time he becomes an adult. Ooh. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure he is benefiting from that now. And, uh, yeah, it, it would be, it would be wonderful to see how he grows as your business grows too. Businesses grow, I should say yeah. too. And he has and, his moments. He gets, a, he gets his laptop. And he's like, Mama, I'm working on my computer. Uh-oh. He's like, go. I'm doing work. He says, are you on a conference call now, Mom? <laughs> yes, son, I'm on a conference call now. <laughs> so he's just great. He, I think he has a very bright future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a mogul in the making. Yeah. Okay, nice, nice. Oh, my gosh, Marsha, I could continue to talk uh, all day because this has been a wonderful conversation. But I know you're a busy woman. I'm a busy man. So I will cut this short. But before I do let you go, I normally ask these questions before I do. So in your life, what has been your biggest regret or biggest lesson learned? Either one. You don't have to answer both. If you do want to answer both, feel free. I know that it's a regret, but I don't. I kind of don't regret it. I know everything happens in due time and for a reason, but I would say a regret of mine is that I didn't take the entrepreneurship leap long enough, or I didn't really push it the way I feel the urgency now to be an entrepreneur. I wish I would have done that mm-hmm. and felt that 20 years ago. Um, that's my, so when you have an idea, when you have a thought, when you have a vision, Activate it. Don't sit on it. There are people listening that are thinking about doing something. Stop thinking and just do. Mm. Um, that's one of my biggest regrets. And what was your other question? I said, if you choose to answer this too, uh, biggest lesson learned. You don't have to answer it, but if you choose to, have at it. Biggest lesson learned, and I'm still learning it. I don't, I don't mind answering that. Biggest lesson learned, and I am still learning it, is to not believe that you're in control, to let go of control. I'm also a control freak. So Mm -hmm. letting go of control, allowing more people in to assist you. I have a team now. I'm so grateful for the fact that I've been working on myself and, and, and allowing myself to trust and let go and let God, as they say, and, and mm. bring people in to my team. A woman who actually says that she doesn't have to be in control. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> That's on next week's show. We'll the, talk about that. The, 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 the ground is getting cold as we speak. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, Seriously. Admirable trait, and I agree with you. I I agree with you because I, I uh, <laughs> my wife could attest when it comes to these shows. I'm a control freak too, so I totally get, I totally get it, I totally get it. Yep. All right, the flip of the coin here. 
I think I can get the answer and I know it, but I'll ask it anyway. Outside of giving your life to Christ, mm-hmm. what has been the biggest accomplishment you have had in your life? Oh, you know, we say Joshua, my son. Mm-hmm. My greatest accomplishment has by far been um, having my son and just watching. He's so intelligent for a three-year-old and just watching him grow and learn. Um, and, and then people have to remind me, you know, you, you did it. You're, you're doing a good job. And I'm like, oh, is it me? Thank you. Um, so that's a great accomplishment. And also getting to where I am in my in my business. I, I Like I said, I've had many different business ventures and just would start and then, you know, kind of like, okay, I'm going back into the corporate world. So learning how to, to have both and to balance both into my life right now has um, mm. been a great accomplishment for me because I, I would always feel in the past that I had to choose one or the other. So being now able to see that I don't have to choose and mm. I can do both um, is really a great accomplishment for me. The one thing I love about you, and you can attest, I haven't spoken to you until this interview, mm-hmm. is that every time you talk about your son, I hear you beam. I can I can hear the smile come through you. <laughs> and I love it when a mother is so enriched by the presence of her offspring, in this case, your son. I love that. I love that it gives you that much life and that much zeal to live. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. See, it's always good to throw softball questions out there. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the time where I normally just roll out the red carpet and whatever is on your heart, on your mind, out the, uh, out your tongue, you can go ahead and speak it. You can go ahead and say it. It doesn't matter. I will cede the floor to you right now. The floor is yours. Thank you so much. I just want to let everyone know who's out there listening. It's never too late. It's never too late to reinvent yourself. It's never too late to live the life you've always envisioned for yourself. And I think now is the time. The times are changing so much for us as a community, um, regardless of where you're living and where you're from. So actually, there are so many resources out here for you to educate yourself in whatever field you want to be in, in whatever small business you may want to develop and start. There is a need for everything, and you don't have to duplicate the world. No one's trying to reinvent the wheel. We've already done that. But somehow there are millions of wheel tire manufacturers out there. You don't need to reinvent what's already out there. Just make it better for you. Put yourself first. Always remember that you come first. You can't serve others unless you serve yourself first. Mm. In the words of the old school song, Somebody Stylistics, it's never too late to stop, look, and listen to your heart and hear what it's saying. I 100% agree with you on that. Nice. <laughs> Life, balance, <Exactly>. <laughs> Life balance coach and business consultant, trainer, author, the founder of Woman on the Rise, New York, and a proud beaming mother of Haitian descent, but proud to be a New Yorker. Yes. (laughs) Miss Marcia Goodier. Uh, Thank you, Marcia, for your time on Revelations. Thank you so much for having me. This was a really fantastic 
uh, conversation. And I appreciate you for saying my name right <laughs> and having me on your show. No problem. No problem. <laughs> from this, this conversation I had the one thing I take away from this conversation I had is empowerment is something that every one of us needs to take on as a, a charge in life but it takes strength to actually want to do that and it takes courage to do it to admit that there is a void in any way shape or form that's a powerful thing to admit to be the feeling of that void is a step up from that strength of knowing that there is one in you and you acknowledge that there is one the word says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you may go. That's the beauty of courage. You don't know where it'll take you. You don't know how far it will take you. And in chronicling this journey with this conversation I had, I get the feeling that that's the same for my guest as well as with me. And isn't that what life is about? Being courageous enough to take that step into the unknown and learning a little bit more about yourself along the way. Many thanks to Marsha Gettier. You can check her out on Women on the Rise New York and also check out the books that she's written as well and support that platform because it really is doing wonders for people, especially women. For changing the world one conversation at a time, I'm Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. For more on Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O, and milehighradio.com, spelled M-I-L-E-H-I-R-A-D-I-O. Every Saturday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific.